You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, there's someone in his head, but it's not him. It's Jeff McLarge Huge. There is someone in my head, and it's not me. Hi, everybody. Hi. That sounds like a good song. It does sound like that does sound like a good song. It sounds like a good song written by Wildman Fisher, <laughs> like who had other people in his head that weren't him, and he wrote songs with them. That guy had basically like a boarding house. Definitely, definitely did have a boarding house. <laughs> Community bathroom. What's going on? Not much at all. It's already June, hard to believe. I, I've got much. To, nothing to report from, from here in uh, the scenic wilds of you know New Hampshire. Black fly season finally ended. The horse flies, yeah. The house flies, horse flies, yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. no. We get literally, they're like biting flies called the black flies that are like gnats but bigger but they're not as big as mosquitoes and they're just as annoying as those and they're and there's 900,000 million billion jillion of them from like mid-May to mid-June but this year they seem to have died off a little more quickly so I don't know if that's good <laughs> in the long run but it certainly is nicer than it was uh, last week when you couldn't go outside without a, a thing around your head to keep them out of your mouth does it get dark early this time of the year <laughs> that's the flies yeah right yes and they bite and they try and crawl into your eyes and nose and stuff it's a pain in the neck I've discovered wonderful things at my house over the past like couple of years when it comes to like bo- uh, bugs. I mean, not that there's a lot of moth enthusiasts out there, but I like hate moths like a lot, like super a lot. Yep. And I don't know what moth. I mean, this is an old joke, but I don't know what moths did in their in their spare time before the invention of porch lights. But now <laughs> that's like their biggest thing, you know. Yeah. Eat sweaters. I think was their previous vocation. I forget, there was a comedian who was like, you know, before there was porch lights, it was just like, the moon was the only light in the sky. It's like, we're going for it! And yeah, you know, you get home, and there's all these, like, moths all over your porch light. You're trying to get into the house, and they're like, hey, what's this? And they run out around your head, like, come off of me! So I found out the world's easiest solution to the moth around your porch light problem. Don't turn the porch light on? That's a really good solution. Uh <laughs> But it also makes finding your keys uh, difficult. It's no. true. Yellow light bulbs. I think I've seen those at like pick your favorite big box store that sells lots of things for homes. But yeah. I think I might have seen that. I didn't realize that that was that the yellow was meant to keep the moths from. Yeah. Sw- oh, I didn't. I have to. I have to put those out and try them. They hate the color yellow. It's like moths and the Green Lantern just can't come anywhere near my porch. It's awesome. Huh. <laughs> No, it's the color of fear. <laughs> and I also have on my front porch, I have, 
Uh, I bought these light bulbs for Halloween, and they're they're orange, you know. They are brighter than, like, the sun itself. Like, people come by my house and like, what is your problem, dude? I was like, what? I go, do you know how bright your front porch is? You can see it from all the way up the street. (laughs) Yeah, but they're orange. They keep away the moths. I have a neighbor who has, like, a garage spotlight that is motion sensitive. Oh, jeez, yeah. But it's it's motion sensitive to, like, leaves and twigs that moths moths that fly by and i my bedroom's on the second floor of my house but it's like every now and then it's like there's a motorcycle in the woods outside my house for just a minute yep. and then whoop it goes off again and it comes back on because a skunk walked by 100 yards away and whoop goes off again super annoying i'm sure he gets plenty of moths though <laughs> you sh- you're gonna be like the howard hughes with the silver slipper with the light <laughs> right, the exactly. light coming into that the- house and then, and then burn it to the <laughs> ground burn it down right yeah, get it get rid of it <laughs> all right so this all is right. gonna be the week beginning june the 7th but before we yeah. start i have my insanely popular and always well received trivia question for you okay twins now i i dated a twin and she was younger by like eight minutes i think it was all right they were born eight minutes apart mm-hmm. but what is the world record for distance of time between twins being born. Oh, man. Can't imagine it's too far. It's got to be like, and then I think there's still one in there. <laughs> I don't really feel like I'm done yet. And then second one comes out. Can't be more than an hour or two. Oh, well, I can't imagine that. It would be more than an hour or two. We will find out later. Later on I feel today. feel like that might be the, the wrong answer. Yeah. Put it this way. You, uh, it's going to be longer than the amount of time between now and answering the question. We are talking human twins. Yes, human human beings. Yep. Not like twin possums. No. Right? Okay. Just checking. All right, here we go. Okay. This is the week beginning June the 7th, and I believe it is your turn to start. Well, that's good. June 7th, 1989. <laughs> this is such a dumb one, but it's it's short and funny. Okay. Like I am. For one second on June 7th, 1989. The time was 0123456789. Which, we do a lot of dumb number stuff on this show, which is yeah. which is us finding funny patterns of, of things. This means something. 315, for example. This means something. So think that it hasn't ever come up as a thing before, but that it's 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Yeah. I just think that that's hysterical. And it won't happen again until 2089. There's a 100-year span before that run of numbers again. It's, yeah, it's, it's known as numerologist hard-on day. It's the one day of the year that you don't have to balance an egg. It just floats for one second. <laughs> you can try it. You should try it. You have to wait 100 years, but you can try Just let that, as you start counting, zero, one, two, three, let the egg go, four, five, six, seven, eight, and it'll float until it hits the floor. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, that was like, there was another one like that came up when we were researching. It was like the time and date where it was the, like the longest run of, of pie. Yeah, so it was like yes. March 14th and whatever year it was. What, whatever the case may be. Whatever it was, it was irrational. Yes. And a lot. <laughs> yeah. So quickly, bumping up, because uh, this is kind of like a twofer. June the 8th, 1984 was a great day to go to the movies because. Definitely. Uh, because Ghostbusters and Gremlins both came out on the same day. June 8th, 1984. I think I saw Gremlins actually on that day. Oh, really? I saw Ghostbusters in the theater. I th- I don't think I saw Gremlins until... No, I did see Gremlins in the theater. I was seeing it with my brother. 
I saw it at Cinema 140 all right, with uh, a couple friends and like, one of their older relatives who drove. I remember being like, eh, for the first 15 minutes or so. And then when went haywire, yep. I was 100% all in. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, I love that yeah, movie. That, yeah, that's a Jeff McLarge movie right there. It's a, it's, it's it a monster is, movie. Yeah. yeah that. I was like, this is great. And and that's a, it wasn't the first time I'd seen anything by Joe Dante. He, he'd done like amazing stories a tv show yeah. some episodes of that and stuff but it was spielberg who got him the got him the movie gig for it so fantastic fun movie yeah and ghostbusters always seemed to me like i mean it's a 1980s comedy and the you know 1980s were you know there was no shortage of comedies in the 80s i mean that was the that was that was the genre you know it's like japanese horror movies in the 90s i guess but ghostbusters always seemed a lot more epic than any other comedy you know, because there's a lot of special effects in there. It's definitely a funny science fiction movie where yeah. it's it's scale from, yeah. and it it's able to straddle both of those genres really well. Yeah, it's a huge budget movie, and usually right. comedies they don't spend that kind of money on. No, it's it's unusual to get such a good cast that's that's been yeah. that's, that has an experience of working together before. So right, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray were both in Stripes. Right, Bill Bill Murray and. Um, and Dan Aykroyd were both on Saturday Night Live. Harold Ramis wrote Caddyshack, which Bill Murray right. was also in. Yeah, right. Exactly. So yeah, they have a long history of working together. Yep. You know, Sigourney Weaver was a big star. Yep. Rick Moranis yep. was, you know, a, a minor star. I mean, he, you know, I mean, everybody knows his name now. But that's kind of like what made right. him a star. You know, that yeah, movie. Yeah, he was. Right? He was still an SCTV guy doing bit parts or smaller parts in, in comedy movies. Yeah. That that made him for sure, and he was right. he was great in that. He was very funny. Annie Potts is the secretary. She was really funny. Also, Ernie Hudson, who went on to become a really good, not a B, so much a B-lister. He had some A-list parts, but like I remember him uh, most uh, often from being in like the the Crow as the police officer that was friends with like the Brandon Lee character. Right, and right. He was also like the evil school principal in this direct-to-video movie called The Substitute, which has seven thousand five hundred and twenty-eight sequels now. Yeah, um, no, I like that Tom, movie. I saw Tom that. Tom Berenger was in it. Yeah. yeah, that movie was cool. Now, as far as the two movies go, they both spawned sequels that did not do as well as the first. But I, if I was going to pit one against the other, I would say Ghostbusters is the better of the two, or my my favorite. My favorite. I shouldn't say better. My favorite of the two. But as the sequels go, I think Gremlins Two is infinitely better than Ghostbusters oh. Two. I thought we were going to have to fight, but yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. Gremlins Two, the new batch, is a superior sequel to Ghostbusters Two, and I like Ghostbusters Two. It took me forever to see it. I did not see Ghostbusters Two until probably like 2009. Um, I I saw the movies. Little pieces of trivia: Who do you know who did the voice? You must. Who did the voice for Gizmo? Frank Oz. No, no, it was Howie Mandel. Howie Mandel was my next guest. That was it. Yep. Right now in Gremlins Two. The intellectual gremlin? Yes. Do you know who did the voice of him? I do not. That was Tony Randall from... Oh, there, there you go. Makes from, sense from the from, Odd Couple. Yeah, from the Odd Couple. Yep. Among other things, yeah. Yep. Who sired his youngest child well into his 70s. Go, Tony. <laughs> well done, sir. You're a, you're a man after my own heart. All right, so let's get on to the 9th. June 9th, 1860. The very first dime novel is published. It's written by a woman named Mrs. Ann Stevens, and the book is called Malasika, the Indian Wife of the White Hunter. Consider it's 1860 uh, for the time. The, that's the beautiful thing about dime novels. Like, 
cheapo cheap, this is 1860 so there's no radio there's no tv there's no movies there's not like there's storytelling and there's fist fighting in an old western saloon that's pretty much all the entertainment you have in 1860 watching the cats fight right getting ready to have the civil war that's the the big the big thing that everybody's doing these dime novels these cheapo novels full of sort of salacious writing and and certainly more earthy for lack of a better description than literature as described in 1860 right become a humongous industry and like anything else that becomes a giant entertainment industry that especially has fans amongst the masses the morality squad tries to clamp down on it and Ugh. you know you know they don't want kids to read dime novels because good heavens you know mrs henpecked was touched by her husband's bare arm on her <laughs> visible wrist um <laughs> Good heavens, that, you know. That slut. <laughs> yes, my God, she had on 17 petticoats and not the regulated 22. But it sort of starts that conversation about what sort of entertainment is okay. And God, won't you please think of the children? What if your children find this story? Malasika, the Indian wife of the white hunter. What then? You know, poor Johnny's going to go off to become, who knows what, a mass murdering serial killer or something. Because Johnny can't read, yeah. Well, 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 if you give him something to read, he can read. And it's the same argument, you, st- you even hear it today. Like, we can work our way backwards all the way to Malasika, yeah. the wife of the white hunter. And you start with, like, Grand Theft Auto Five, and you just work your way backwards. So there's video games that are shooty video games, and then there's video games where there are demon video games, like Doom. Right. Too much time on Nintendo. Too much bare breasts in PG movies, so we need to have PG-13, and then... Before that, it's the the MPAA with the RX, NC-17, whatever. I think what we're getting at, though, with this dime novel is it's not so... I mean, yeah, there's the the argument of, um, you know, won't somebody think of the children? But there's also the argument of it's, it's not highbrow enough. Right. There was... And we'll, I'm going to get to this in a second, but, like, comic books were just, like, right. told that, oh, they're going to rot your brain. You know, it's like, well, I mean... Not everything has to be taxing, you know. I mean, right. Whenever you're, uh, you know, you're a kid, you spend the whole, you know, six hours in school, and you're just pounding down math problems and all that. When you, you know, you get home, it's like I don't want to think about. Shit. I just want to see Batman beat somebody up, you know. Right. I just want to read about Malasika, the Indian wife of the White Hunter, <laughs> and and find out how things go. But the, there's another like secondary component to this too. Which has always come about with this kind of like entertainment technology that has a reach into the public and is inexpensive. Is it showing that information can be sent to a mass number of people in a relatively short time? So whether it's Malasika, the Indian wife of the White Hunter, or it's Two Live Crew. Or the the WAP big controversy from earlier this year. Exactly. It shows that with relatively little effort, you can get information out to a mass number of people and change the way that people think or act or, or believe. <laughs> and that threatens the sort of governing structure or the cultural structure, the economic structure at the time that those things are popular. And it's this constant, you can, you can go back and read through the cadences of it. We talked about Dee Snyder and the PMRC a few weeks back. Yep. Exactly the same thing as we're talking about here. And it was without this novel, I, I, I wonder that those things would have ever happened because that's the way that popular culture sort of evolves. Right. Well, without that novel, we'd probably all still be like watching Cats Fight by Candlelight, you know? Right. I remember like, in, you know, when we were in high school, like that age and then growing into the 90s and stuff like that. And I've never had a big taste for pop music and I used to absolutely hate it. I still don't like it. I don't listen to it, but 
Yeah. It's less offensive to me now, but because I like I like to think that I my musical tastes were smarter than that. But at the same time, I freaking love the Ramones. Right. If I know four chords on the ukulele, I'm one up from the Ramones. You know. <laughs> yes. And with you know such such highbrow lyrics as "Beat on the brat with a baseball bat." Right. Exactly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But, uh, but you know what? The freaking Ramones are are, are fun. You know, right. and same thing with Kiss. And you know, more recently, Ghost and all and Guar and all those like gimmicky bands. It's just, yep. it's just entertainment, and you can't yep. really put a numerical value on what entertains one person and not another. I love dime novels. I I write pulp science fiction. I love this stuff. Can't get enough of it. Even though it's an old format, it's still super duper fun. You know. Yeah. Not every again, like you said, not everything has to be friggin' Dostoevsky. I like Dostoevsky too, but you know what? I'd rather probably read Malasika, the Indian Wife of the White Hunter, after spending eight hours at work or ten hours at work, and then coming home and making dinner for my kids and walking my dog, because I don't have to think too hard. Right. You know, not every album has to be Dark Side of the Moon, and not every book has to be Moby Dick. Uh, but moving on to actually a very similar kind of topic, it's like a nice segue. Yeah. June the tenth, nineteen eighty nine. HBO premieres their horror anthology show, The Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, with the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Longest lasting TV puppet host that wasn't a Muppet host on TV. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I think you're right. I think. They tried to movie franchise some of these too, and they didn't. Yeah, they didn't there go was too uh, far. the Bodello of Blood. Blood, with, yeah. With uh, Dennis Miller. Yeah, Dennis Miller. No wonder. Yeah. No, the Tales of the Crypt, the horror slash science fiction anthology genre has been a very long-lasting and successful drama. And I'm going to venture to say I'm hard-pressed to find one that I don't like. I like all those shows. Yeah, I like all of them, too. Uh, I was, as Bill and I, you and I were talking as we were setting the show up today, yeah. like I'm trying to name all the ones that used to be on in the, in the 80s and early 90s. Tales of the Crypt was on HBO, and before that, there was this uh, anthology show called The Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker, which had boobies in it. Yes, yes, I remember being very excited about that. Yes. And then on television, there was, it was a reboot of an older series, The Outer Limits. The new Outer Limits was fantastic. I loved that right. show. And that yep. there's also... The Twilight Zone has had many reboots over the years, including a feature film. Yes. There was also Monsters, right? Remember that show? You brought up Amazing Stories. Amazing Stories. Yeah, that was Spielberg's TV, anthology TV. anthology show, yeah. I only remember one episode of that where the cartoonist drew the wheels on the plane. I think Mark Hamill was in it. Oh yeah, I remember um, that. Yeah, there were a lot. There was the other one. There was the shadows of the undis something. It had the it had the narrator at the beginning that was like, "There's a universe of shadow and a universe of light. These are the tales of the city of But I don't remember what the name of the show was. It was like not tales of the unexpected. Oh, the, I mean, these go all the way back though. There was a radio, old time radio show called The Inner Sanctum that was very yeah. much just like all that. I used to love the host on that guy. He would make all these horrible horror puns. But getting to the actual subject at hand, it's, uh, tell, yes. tales from the tales from the crypt. If you could, if you could pick a favorite episode, which was your favorite? I can't remember any. They all mixed together in my head into a, just a whole bunch of different episodes okay. of of everything. So I can't remember. I mean, I still remember remember Friday the Thirteenth the series, which was yep. another anthology show. Right. But I don't remember any of the actual episodes of the show. I'll tell you what my favorite one was the the guest stars because they always had like celebrity guest stars on Tales right. of the Crypt. Yes. So the guest stars were Katie Segal from uh, Married with Children. 
Yep. Sam Kinison, but Sam Kinison was never visible. He was a voice inside of someone's head. I remember that one. Right. Okay, yes. He kept on yelling at him, yelling at him, you know, inside of his head. The guy kills his wife, yeah. which was Katie Segal. The voice keeps nagging at him, nagging at him. And then he he takes like a Q-tip and he like jams it in his ear, which is where the voice was, to shut him up. And then yeah. everybody is like staring at him and staring at him. He goes, oh, they can hear me, you know. They can hear me. And... He finally, like, screams out and admits that he kills his wife and shows everybody where the body was. And then he sees his reflection in the mirror, and he's got a bloody Q-tip, like, hanging out of his ear. And you just hear the voice go, oh, maybe that's what they were staring at. <laughs> and at, at the end, he's... That one I do remember, yeah, yes. At the end, he's in prison, and all you can hear is just Sam Kinison talking to him and talking to yep. him and talking to him. Uh, I, I really like the short uh, story, you know, anthology shows like that. There's tons of them on Netflix and Prime and stuff. I, I go and I watch yeah, them. Yeah. It's nice, easy to digest, just, like, short little watchable stuff. You don't have to get too involved. I mean, the beauty of the short story is that it's, it's you know, brevity is wit, right? So that's the writing that I do. I'm a short story writer. So I'm always attracted to those, like, it has a beginning, middle, and end, and you're in and out in an hour. Or in some cases, like, Twilight's on a half an hour. And there's a lot of storytelling economy that falls into it, and it really suits the genre. All right, let's get on to the 11th. June 11th, did you ever have your car fixed at Sears, Bill? Uh, yeah, actually, I used to go there all the time because I bought you- I bought my tires there, and because I bought my tires there, I got lots of free stuff. So if you bought your tires there, did you ever bring your car there to get it fixed? And, and they said, oh, by the way, you know, we, we noticed when we were putting your tires on that you need some brake shoes in the back, and one of your tie rods in the front is kind of loose. We should probably replace that, too. Yeah, true. We'll give you a $10 coupon, and you can replace all this stuff yeah. if you replace all this stuff today. Ted Kennedy says a song about that, yeah. June 11th, 1992, California seeks to revoke Sears' automobile repair license for 74 places because Sears was engaging in what what they called a systematic looting of the public, <laughs> which meant that there was a, 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 an expectation that there was a that they would quota sell brake pads, tie rods, shocks, struts, and springs, among some other parts, to customers. So if you went in to have like your battery charged they'd try and sell you brake shoes if you and they were each place had to sell a certain number of shoes every single week or every month that's illegal because a lot of their customers didn't need any of those things but they were told they did and it's not like you can go in the garage and look at your brake shoes and measure them to make sure that they're the right width you don't know looking at a spring from one side or the other that it's sprung or not yeah there's there's a lot of stuff like that like the last time i got my oil changed um, I'm not going to say where because that's unethical, but last time I got oil changed, you know, I walked out of there spending $600. Right. <laughs> and my hubcap flew off on the way home. Always, always good when that happens. <laughs> but I got a uh, I got a $10 cabin air filter replaced for $75. Ooh. Yeah. Ah, that's exactly, yes. I, I found that that practice to be unnerving. Yep. I I think I was sitting in the place that was offering to do it for me for fifty dollars, and I looked up on my phone the cabin air filter yeah. cost, and it was like three bucks at Amazon. And then I looked up how to do it, and it takes two seconds to like fold my glove box down and just swap it out. And I was like, I'm in the wrong business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I need to be I need to be doing this like mobile cabin air filter. But yep, Sears uh, they ended up having to pay back like ten to fifty dollars in ultimately coupons for free work to something like 8 million Californians. Wow. It was a load of money, yeah. <laughs> they got in trouble. Poor Sears. And now they don't exist at all. And you wonder why. 
No, like I, I bought their home warranty for a while because it, it was one of those like, well, you know, if you buy the home warranty and this $600 repair to the washing machine that you paid $625 for only a year ago it will only cost you $200 and then it'll cost you $50 a month, blah, 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 blah. And then it was like if they came out to fix anything, you still had to pay 85 bucks. Yeah. So I had the guy come out and he charged me 85 bucks to change a three cent fuse in my dryer. It took him less than six seconds. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to YouTube this stuff from now on, and then I'll just charge myself half yeah, that. Once again, and I'll be making, I'll be saving money left hand over yeah, fist. Once again, I'm in the wrong business. I should have been in the <laughs> the mobile fuse uh, replacement business. Right, exactly. That's my. That's what I'm going to call it. Fuses and filters. Yeah. We come to you. $50. Do you like paying fifty dollars? We're going to charge you sixty. Well, since I wonder if I could buy the Sears trademark now, since they, they don't really exist anymore. <laughs> Sears, remember Sears. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's pop over to the twelfth. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about this one. Oh. June the twelfth, okay, 1972 12th. in Louis. I remember that year in well. Louisiana, the first Popeyes fried chicken uh, restaurant opens. Ooh. Mm. Oh, you Popeyes you, fried chicken. You like Popeyes, don't you? Oh, that was my favorite fast food fried chicken, and I couldn't get it anywhere for years and years and years, and then they started to open up around where I am now, just in the last, like, five years or so. And now I'm a vegetarian, so I don't go there. <laughs> yeah, I always thought that their product was in the franchise fast food fried chicken fights. <laughs> their, uh, their food was far flavorful or better. I enjoyed their fried chicken much more. I tried to get as many apps in there as I could, but I couldn't. I'm actually not a huge fan of Popeyes. That's it. You're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, I don't really get fried chicken as fast food anyway. The closest fast food franchise, which is fun to say. Mm. Oh, another rough. The closest fast food franchise to me is Kentucky Fried Chicken. There's yes, literally could, one could, like a quarter, could, quarter mile. Yeah you, yeah, you could throw a brick from your house and hit that Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's the closest one. Right. And since I've been living here in 2007, I've been there twice. I'm, I'm not really a, a fast food fried chicken person. Um, I will say this, though. I tried Popeye's a couple of times. We have one in the city now, but I haven't been there. The only time I've ever been to a... Popeyes was at like the mall in Providence, and I was like, ah, "It's not that good." I think their sides are terrible, comparatively speaking. Their chicken is better than Kentucky Fried. I'll say that their chicken is better than Kentucky Fried, but their sides, no way. Kentucky Fried's got wins that game. I like both. I like fried chicken just in general, so I'm, okay. I'm going to put this out there. So me saying I like Popeyes more than KFC is. It's like saying I like my blue hat better than my red hat, but I like hats. You know what I mean? I'm not squirting on anything here when I say that. But there was a, where I first had it was that uh, it was right near Hot Wheels skating rink. There was a Popeye's franchise there for like a day and a half. Uh, yeah, six weeks. And I went there like 11 times because it was so friggin' good. And get chicken and biscuits and just be like, this is the greatest food in the history of food. It was, I think, the first year I had my car. Oh, those and... biscuits, though, from Popeye's are like weapons. Yeah, they're good. Good, good, so good. I'll tell you something about Popeyes that used to drive me berserk. Is um, I, I haven't seen her uh, in a bit, but they used to have that uh, that woman with the short hair. Yeah, she was the spoke the pitch person. Yes, yep. And every once in a while, they would they would have a uh, a five dollar big box like special and all that. I almost wrote them a letter saying, "Listen, having this woman talking about her big box on TV." <laughs> Is 
not making me all that hungry. <laughs> I think you could probably choose differently a, a way to pitch this. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Especially considering that is super greasy chicken, generally. Yeah. Um, my big box. <laughs> my big greasy box. Uh, <laughs> the listeners will, will, I'm sure, be astonished to know that, like many people who are vegetarians, this isn't the first time I've I've been a vegetarian. The first time I became a vegetarian, I was eating fried chicken. Okay. At a fried chicken fast food restaurant. There were more bones on my little tray than are in any animal. <laughs> And I'm not sure what I was eating. And I looked over. I was eating with. I was eating lunch with my friend. And I just eaten like a leg, a wing, a possum, a, or I don't know what. It was. It was like all kinds of pieces and parts. And I looked over at him and I said, "I think I'm going to stop eating meat for a while because <laughs> this is just nasty." You. And he goes, "All right." And like two years, I didn't eat anything but well, pretty much pasta and cheese. But I work for Renaissance fans. We've covered that. Whenever people talk to me about that, like, oh my god, I love the turkey legs, and I'm like, one, I don't like them. I think they freaking stink. People come over with their turkey legs to my game. I'm like, oh my god, because they're so they're very aromatic. Another reason, and I and I make this joke with the customers yeah. all the time, why I won't eat those things. How many how many bones are there in a leg? There should be one. There should be one, and if it's just, <laughs> I, I, maybe two, one. if it was like the shin, yeah. you know, there's two over there. But in like the femur of like a, of like right. a person or, or any animal from the hip to the knee, there's one bone there. How many bones are there in a leg of fowl, as they call it? I haven't counted them all. There's so many bones in there. Right. The space alien f***ing bone thing. <laughs> when I was making fried yeah. chicken at home, leg has a bone in it, wing has three bones in it, ribs are ribs and whatever. And I don't know, like the people that put together the chicken that I bring home to cook, it looks like pieces of chicken cut up. Sometimes when you get the, the stuff, it looks like somebody took a chicken and just crushed it into like half dust and then cut it up and made chicken with it. It's like, this thing has more bones than Casey's cellar. That's it. I said it. And wrapping up the week with the 13th. What do you got? Back in 1233, <laughs> everybody's favorite household animal, the cat, was demonized by Pope Gregory IX. He describes the devil being worshipped by witches as half cat, half man, which at the time, again, of popular culture, leads to cats being slaughtered throughout Europe. <laughs> cats, as we know, tend to like to eat rodents. Rodents, as... England would learn, uh, as Europe would learn, carry fleas that also carry the bubonic plague that kill millions upon millions of people. So uh, it could very well mean that the demonization of cats at the time and the half-man, half-cat devil that was having sex with witches, lucky half-cat, half-man, if you ask me, probably helped keep the plague going. Yeah, if, if not make it, like, exponentially worse, right? Exponentially worse, yes. Because, yeah, the, the, the rodent population got out of control and spread the you know spread the plague worse if there was only more cats around to you know kill said rodents but right. nope pope gregory had to get his old crazy ass superstition Damn. and demonize uh, cats black cats specifically and if you notice it's the 13th it was probably a friday ha then, you know, just like last year, whenever the mask mandates first started going in and people were like, oh, you can't breathe in carbon dioxide. That's going to that's just going to contribute to the virus. It's like, <sighs> haven't we been down this road before? Yeah, exactly. Twelve thirty three. Yeah. Look, all I'm going to say is like our, our humanity, humanity's approach. I'm not casting shade on any particular nation, United States of America. Um, 
when I say this, but <laughs> we're like we're like people who are watching our house burn down, and the fire department is spraying water on our house, and there's still flames coming through the roof, and there's still smoke coming out of all the windows, and we're looking at each other, and it's like, man, we've been standing outside for like an hour. I really want to go watch TV. So like, f- it, let's go watch TV. So we're going to go back in the house. It, they're still fighting the fire, but we need to go in and watch American Idol. I'm going to go so. one step further and say the house is on fire. The windows are all busted open and there's black smoke pouring out. And the fireman's over there. And then you're over there yelling at him for getting all your shit wet. Yeah, exactly. So, cats. Yep. When it comes to cats, are you a <laughs> person or are you a person? I am a, oh my God, nobody else cleans the litter box but me <laughs> person. That's literally who I am with cats. I do not want to have any more kitties. I had kitties. My kitties had to go to Kitty Valhalla. I have a, a couple of friends that are deathly allergic to anything with more than two legs, so I can't have cats, but I would. I was I was thinking about buying an emu, but those things are jerks. <laughs> Speaking of big leg bones, <laughs> yeah. I, I call the big one Kiki. Leg of emu. All right, and moving on to the celebrity birthdays. June the 7th. 1940, a man more commonly known as The Voice, Tom Motherfucking Jones. For those smooth 60s guys who managed to transition to being smooth 90s and 2000s guys, yeah, uh, he's one of them. I I love that guy's voice. I was like a big Tom Jones. Like it started out being like an ironic thing, but then I actually ended up enjoying his music. I saw Tom Jones live like three times during the 90s. Nice. Yeah. I saw the Misfits and Tom Jones in the same week. It was funny. Nice. That's definitely cool. I saw one of the greatest moments in rock and roll history. Yeah. This woman goes up to the front of the stage and like she like hands Tom Jones her panties like you do. Tom Jones takes the panties from her, wipes the sweat off of his face, wipes the sweat off of his chest, and then gives them back. It was so <laughs> freaking rock and roll. And that woman became pregnant with twins. <laughs> Another concert I went to was at the, the Cape Cod Melody Tent, right? So it was in the round. Yeah. This woman comes like down the ramp. Let's just say she could lose a couple of pounds, okay? She was a big, she was a bigger woman. And she's got her underwear as she's like, she's coming down the ramp and she's like swinging it overhead like a lasso kind of a deal. And she takes it and she throws it onto the stage and swish, nothing but net, right into his freaking water pitcher. Oh, (laughs) nasty. The whole whole audience. Oh! (laughs) That's terrible. All right, next up. Agreed. Uh, June 8th, 1978, a woman that I only know from the gas station that I used to fill up my car. Maria Menounos apparently is a person, and I only know her because she shows up on the screen to yelp at me with a volume that I can't turn down as I'm filling my car, and she's usually talking about people from Head of the Class or some other TV show that I didn't watch when I was a kid. And I don't know who she is, but she's on a lot of gas pumps. around my house so happy birthday maria she's i'm not sure where she's actually from I, I i guess she does like not entertainment tonight but one of those kind of shows she's like one of those kind of hosts you know if you're if you're, if you're getting 12 gallons of gas you're gonna see her for about two and a half minutes but well, uh, no. she was born in medford mass so she got that going yeah for her. no i see her a lot more because she actually did a lot of work with the wwe they actually had her in the ring at one wrestlemania wow. yeah was she dressed up as like 
a gas pump? <laughs> was that her gimmick? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll fill you up with high test. Uh, no, and uh, she also does like um, like the pre-show. If like back when I could actually go to see movies in the theater, she would do like the pre-shows before the the trailer. Oh, started. that's you know what? That's right. I totally forgot that she would be like the. Whatever it was called, like as just the, it's the ads for like car popcorn, go buy the thing, yeah. and then it's her, and she's like, "Let's talk about trivia," yeah. and then it would go back to like, "You, you need more fourteen dollar popcorn." Right. Um, okay, yeah, I remember. Okay, so not just the gas pump, but most recently, that's the venue that I know her. Yeah, from. and she's immortal too. I mean, she still looks like somebody in her early twenties. Well, she's submerged in gasoline, <laughs> so that must be a preservative. So, all right, next up is June the 9th. 1915, ah. creator of the Les Paul guitar, a man by the name of, well, Les Paul. <laughs> yeah. I saw his prototype guitar, the log. I was less than one foot from oh, it. Oh, wow. Had I been able to reach through bulletproof glass, I could have touched it with my finger. I spent a long time looking at oh, the log. That's that's super cool. It's a Country Music Hall of Fame. It's there. A whole bunch of guitars from him are there, but that one specifically is like, it's just a plank with a neck on it, and he's bolted two halves of a hollow body guitar that he cut in half with a saw to the outside of it, so people knew what the hell it was when he went to show it to the Gibson company. What I didn't realize until I was a, an adult was that he and his wife were super famous for being a guitar playing and singing duo. Oh, really? They were on TV like a million thousand trillion jillion times. They had their own TV show. Yeah, it, nationwide TV show. It only show. stands to reason um, that he'd be an amazing guitar player. Right. And he invented some of the uh, the ways to do like like offset recording so you could create reverb. Uh-huh by offset timing the recording a little bit and he built all this other stuff aside from electric guitars that made electric guitars sound wicked cool and was an amazing amazing uh amazing guy super duper influential so that's paul all right next up uh june june 10th 1922 less a log and more an actress judy garland known probably most famously now for being in the wizard of oz she was more of a log after she was a log afterwards had a surprisingly long career in entertainment and musical theater and on television for years and years after that uh mother of liza minnelli and a a star of a recent biopic or the subject of a recent relatively recent biopic that i have not had the opportunity to watch yet i listened to a podcast called the dark side of and they were talking about the making of the wizard of oz and and i think we've covered this before but it bears repeating you know for such a heartfelt and you know, much loved and families all over the place, you know, absolutely loved that movie. Making that movie was like a war effort. It was just torture. They just like tortured the hell out of everybody in that movie, it, you know, including and especially Judy Garland. <laughs> yeah, she definitely got the what would later become known as the Stanley Kubrick treatment, yeah. right? I mean, they did everything to that girl. And it basically, it, it ended up killing her in the long run because... Her drug and alcohol addiction yeah, alcohol uh, started from making that movie. Yeah, uppers to you know to keep her up because it was shooting long days. But they also gave her uppers to keep her skinny because Dorothy Gale is supposed to be like eleven years old or something like that, yeah. and yeah. she was already like seventeen or eighteen, I think. Beautiful singer though. Yeah, yeah, beautiful voice, and it's uh, yeah, it's a shame she was uh caught up and just destroyed in the Hollywood machine. Yeah, and it didn't take it. It wasn't a long time. It was like a career of like maybe what thirty five years or so after uh, Wizard of Oz, right? That's not a long time yeah, in no, the grand scheme really. of things. Hey, let's go on to a happier. Yeah, story. yeah, absolutely. Much loved actor. Uh, yep. Uh, so June the eleventh, nineteen thirty three. Everybody loves 
Nobody can say a bad thing about him. I don't care who you are. And if you are going to say a bad thing about Mr. Gene Wilder, you're no friend of mine. Gene Wilder, everybody. The only bad thing I can say about Gene Wilder you is that he was very, very funny. Okay. <laughs> he was very, very funny. Yeah, he's one of my favorite actors. Even his later work, where he and like Richard Pryor, who, who looked like he was literally dying every in every frame of the movie that he was on a little bit more. Um, oh, the see no evil, hear no evil movie. The- little did we know, Richard Pryor had multiple sclerosis and was like battling this disease for years. But, but that movie still, I mean, for a late late career movie, that movie's really funny for both of them. So Gene Wilder again, uh, super duper funny. Um, best known for for his role as Doctor Victor Frankenstein in Young Frankenstein, and the other pairings that he's done with with Mel Brooks. I'm gonna say he was best known for Willy Wonka. I think that's where most people would recognize him from. I don't know. I th- I think that his work with Mel Brooks had probably has. I'm not saying what's better. Probably went further. I'm not, I'm not saying it's better either. I'm just saying it. I think it probably went further. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Um, I love that movie. I love him in it. Yeah, absolutely. It's like um, whenever they did the remake with Johnny Depp. I mean, I I think the most common question was why. You know, there was no need for that. Yeah, they should have just had the film. Oh, we got the dailies right in the shredder. <laughs> they should have just re-released Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, they ultimately ended up doing that. That's that prompted them to put out a a, a widescreen and Blu-ray release because there wasn't one up until then. Would you say your favorite is uh, Young Frankenstein? Blazing Saddles. He's fantastic as the Frisco Kid. Yeah, yeah. I I think the first time I saw him outside of Willy Wonka was Stir Crazy. <laughs> yeah, I remember Stir Crazy. And I you know, I was like a little kid, and just seeing Willy Wonka swear was right. yeah like what because it was you know it's it's adult comedy as opposed to you know the the beloved Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory all right next up June 12 1978 former model and current actor named DJ Qualls who you may not recognize by name if you see his face and have seen like sort of b-level almost directed DVD type comedies from like the late 90s you'd know who he was he was in a bunch of them oh, yeah he was uh, he was in he was the in new the guy. new guy Right, which both Bill and I think is a significantly underrated movie. Yeah, that movie's fantastic. Yes, and I, I was thinking about this list for birthdays, and his name came up, and I'm like, why isn't he in a Marvel movie someplace? Like, he's kind of weird looking, and he's a good actor, and he seems like the type of person that would be good to play, like, the person who becomes Venom, or the person who becomes, like, the Green Goblin, or the person that becomes... I wouldn't say, I wouldn't know, say Venom, but I could throw him in as Carnage. You know, or Carnage, or yeah. But I mean, he's just like he, and he's a good actor. Yeah. He was, he was on the Jim Jeffries show, which was like the dramatization of like comedy act, and he played a character who had cerebral palsy. And I, it took me two episodes to realize I was watching DJ Qualls and not a guy who actually had cerebral palsy. Yeah, he's guy. tall and gangly. I would rather have him as Cletus Cassidy than Woody Harrelson. That's why I'm hosting a podcast. I'm not a Hollywood casting director, I guess. All right, and wrapping up the birthdays. June the 13th, 1962, an actress by the name of Ali Sheedy. Hey, I remember Yeah, her. everybody's favorite Generation X weirdo from The Breakfast Club. I, I thought she just kind of like dropped off the face of the earth after the 80s, and I didn't really see too much of her. You know, she was in War Games, she was in The Breakfast Club, she was in right. Bad Boys, which was Sean Penn's either first or second movie. And then I didn't know too much about her after that. But then we were looking her up her IMDb, and she has been busy the whole time. Yeah, she's been doing a bunch of stuff. She's done a whole bunch of TV movies and a ton of TV series, like multiple episodes of TV series and stuff. So she's definitely been out there. She was in uh, 
Speaking of the Marvel movies, she was in X-Men Apocalypse oh. as Scott's teacher. That's what her role is listed as. Oh, you know what? I don't remember that movie well enough to remember who she was, but I didn't, she was yeah, there. Yeah, I didn't see that one. I should go back and watch it. And then there was another thing, too. I was thinking, you know, sometimes sometimes actresses look different when they get older and you just didn't, you know, you're like, hey, you know who that was? But then I looked up to see what Ali Sheedy looks like in 2021, and my God, she just looks exactly the same. Yeah, she doesn't look very different. Yeah. So maybe she and Marina Menounos are being, you yeah. know, submerged in the same gasoline. Oh, well, you know, they must have, like, cats, well, you know, these <laughs> devil-worshipping cats from Pope Gregory. Yes, yes. Yeah. At first, exactly did you know, at, at a very young age, I think she was 12 years old, was a published author? I had no idea. Yeah, she wrote a children's book called She Was Nice to Mice. That's a way better title than Malakina, the yeah. Indian wife of the White Hunter. Yeah, she should write a uh, a biography of Pope Gregory the Ninth called "He Was a Prick to Cats." That, right, and <laughs> does, does this look infected? <laughs> That's the subtext, the subtitle of the book. You know, usually I like to do surprise segues into the next segment, but I don't really have anything for the worst song ever. Jeff, this has been long, long time coming. We have been talking about this. You introduced me to this band. <laughs> uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Oh, like yeah, you were still at the other house. Let's talk about the Shags. And if we're going to talk about the Shags, we need to talk about outsider music. And outsider music is music that is made for, uh, I'm not sure why, but it's made for... For reasons that uh, are outside the mainstream, and they become weirdly popular in subcultures or subgroups of music, and have a longevity because of it. So, some famous examples of outsider music are like Frank Zappa, Captain Beefheart, or Wildman Fisher, Tiny Tim, Weird Al Yankovic. Like these are considered outsider music, and the Shags fall into this group. The difference between all of those other people, maybe not so much Wildman Fisher, and the Shags, is that all those other people wanted to make music. <laughs> and the Shags didn't. And their father made them. The Shags were three sisters, right? Yes, the Wiggins sisters, right from here in Fremont, New Hampshire. Right, right, from New Hampshire. Their father kind of like forced them to play these instruments, I guess, right? Yep. He had a, a vision that his daughters... Yeah, it was like a dream, right? He had a dream was, about yep, it, right? He had a, well, there was a couple of different things. I guess like there was a couple of other coincidental dreams where that had come true. Okay. saying that true with my hands, like making air quotes, not that anybody can see them, that came true. And so he's like, well, I have to turn my daughters into a rock band and they'll be the biggest rock band in the world and and, and rich and famous and they'll save the world and whatever, sort of like the Bill and Ted. Yeah. Bill and Ted's adventure story. Yeah. The the Bill and Ted of Fremont, New Hampshire, right? <laughs> Bill, Bill and Ted of Fremont, New Hampshire. So he went to a place Strange called- things are afoot at the market basket, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um so their dad went and bought them instruments at Ted Hebert's Music in Manchester, mm -hmm. which there's a great quote about that later, which I'll tell you. Took his girls out of school and made them play music all day without really listening to anybody else's music. So they wrote a whole record and went to Boston and he cashed in some savings and recorded recorded a record over a period of a few days, printed a thousand copies of it. Never got all thousand copies. He got a few hundred, maybe. Right. And then the guy, the guy that was going to print the record just took off with the money. <laughs> like, well, he must have listened to it and been like, yeah, I can't put this out. I'm not giving the money back. Wasn't there a story like that he brought them in to record and the recording engineer was like, 
I don't think these girls are ready. And the father's like, oh, they're fine. They're great. This is the greatest thing ever. There's another great quote that I heard. The, I guess the, the guy who was doing the recording in Boston said, you know, I'm not a guitar guy, but I could I could tune those guitars up and make them sound good. And the father said, I bought those guitars at Ted Hebert's Music in Manchester, New Hampshire, and they come with a guarantee. Those are great guitars. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was his answer. So, like, clearly these people are all... And insane. All right. So they anyway they they make a record. I don't even know what song to to pick out. Well, let I'm, me say, I'm gonna go with foot foot. I'm gonna go with my pal foot foot. My pal foot foot. Yep. Okay. Let's let's play a clip from my pal, my pal foot, foot foot. Find him home. I go to his house. Knock at his door. People come out and say, foot foot, don't live here no more. My pal foot foot. Foot foot always likes to go. My pal foot foot. Okay, so there's no argument about what's going on here. Well, the great thing is, like, that song has, like, six parts. None of them match. Right. Like, there's that... For what feels like 100 minutes in the beginning of just the drums. And then the song starts. I think. Or the song ends. I can't remember. Because, again, it's all stuck together. And let me say for the record, I f***ing love this album. I love it. Yep. I love... I listen to this record on purpose, not just to get a laugh out of Bill, like when I introduced <laughs> him to it. But I listen to it on purpose because it's so f***ing weird and raspy and raw and strange and interesting and it's not good. Oh, I can't no. call it good music. You can't listen to it for pleasure the way that I listen to other music, but you listen to it to like experience it. Yeah. You can't like tap your toes to it. No, there's no steady anything. You can, but yeah. people are going to think you have Parkinson's disease, you know? <laughs> so anyway, there's a little bit about the band is like, they didn't want to make music. Their father made them. He made them play the Fremont town hall every Friday night for like five or six months. And they played all their own, their own songs in the weird ass time signature that they're in yep. and some covers. And there's videos you can find of them with the music overdubbed over them playing. Yep. So I don't know what songs they were actually playing when the films were taken, but there are films out there on YouTube. Yep. And then the record kind of just disappeared. The father died. They immediately all stopped put playing music altogether, and they were done. They went back to their lives in Fremont doing whatever they do in Fremont, like probably having cows and stuff. Sure. That's kind of what Fremont's got going on. As time went on, like Kurt Cobain said that the philosophy of the world, their record was one of his favorite records. I forget the name of the, I forget which band the guy was, this guy was in, but he bought the rights to re-release the record. He bought them from the Wiggins. He went to see him and he's like, I love your record. I want to put out another version of it, another printing. And they were like, all right. Like, well, you got five bucks. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he did. And they sold out. And Frank Zappa at one point had said that he liked the Shags record more than he likes Beatles records because they're interesting. So they're really weird songs. They're, the lyrics are really weird and innocent because they're kids that were writing them. Yep. And it, it has some like weird off kilter tone qualities. And the songs always feel like they're about to fall apart and not be able to be put back together. But they're able to hold together in a structure until they get to the end, which is a logical conclusion to the song. Yeah, Long live the shags. Yeah, the shags. Yeah, it's so funny. And they did, like, reunion shows after that, too. Like at well, County yeah, Fairs Dot Wiggins. Yeah. Dot Wiggins is the only one that still plays. She plays out with the Dot Wiggins band, and they do a bunch of shag song and some covers as well. Yep. If I ever find myself within 50 miles of them playing out, I'm, I'm going, yeah. And that thing about, like, the song we just played, Foot Foot there, it is such an odd 
everything. To find somebody that could actually cover that properly, they'd have to be insane or yep. or a musical genius because there's nothing to follow. There's no there's, the, there's nothing there. Yeah. In the in the videos I've seen of the Dot Wigan band everybody's playing from sheet music except for Dot Wigan. <laughs> so they're all trying to follow along and, and sort of make that music work. Um, but yes, they're, they're super, I totally seek them out. You can find all their music on YouTube. And I think philosophy of the world is on Spotify. Uh, it certainly is on Amazon primer was last time I listened to it. That was like three months ago. I'm going to put it on at work just to see how long somebody says, what yeah. the hell? Oh, it's, I love it. I love it. It's, it's, it's one of the things that makes the record fun is to put it on for people and and you, you start to seem like, look around, like, what the <laughs> is this? And, and I'm so happy that they're our worst song ever because they're so much fun. All right, let's uh, let's bring it home. Let's uh, let's get the answer to the trivia question here. I'm Bye. still, I'm sticking with one hour. All right, so hold, hold on, hold on. Let, let me re-ask the question there, Mr. Jump the Gun. Okay. All right. What was the world record for the longest distance in time between twins being born? So, like, one twin gets born, and then the what was the length of time between that and the second twin being born? I'm going to say two hours tops. You are only off by about 87 days. <laughs> what, what now? Yep. A woman by the name of Maria Jones Elliott gave birth to Amy and Katie... Amy was born first. She was four months premature, so she was probably about the size of like a sweet potato when she came out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, <laughs> a small sweet potato. Yeah. And then uh, Katie, tater tot. Katie remained in utero uh, for another three months because I guess it was cold in the in that room. Um, well, you probably she probably had to like wait out the lease. It's hard <laughs> when you sublet. Yeah. Yep. And then, you, uh, can't just, you can't just go. You won't get your security deposit back. Yep. Katie was premature as well. She was uh, born a one-month premature, unlike her sister, four months premature. Uh, but Amy and Kate both both survived. I mean, there was yeah. you know there was incubators involved, but they were both. I'm, uh, I'm sure there were. Yep. Uh, but they were both uh, otherwise you know normal, healthy babies who happened to be twins and happened to have birthdays almost three months apart. All right. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Huh. Eighty. An hour, huh? Uh, that'll that'll teach me. Yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna guess that that record's gonna stay around for a while. I'm gonna guess so. And 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 when it changes, I'm sure I'll learn about it when I'm putting gas in my car. <laughs> From Maria Menudo's. From Marina Menudo's. All right, but that's gonna wrap up this week. We will see you right back here next week, everyone. Until <laughs> another exciting adventure. Yeah. Oh. Until that time. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook and Instagram at Twibly, or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already, and tell your friends. They probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well. And if you don't like this week's episode, there'll be one next week, and it'll probably be better.